The virtual CISO moment is brought to you by VCISO Services, a leading provider of quality and experienced virtual chief information security officers for small and mid-sized businesses. Check them out at vcisoservices.com. Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Moment. I'm here with Dan Bradley. He is with Global Payments, Inc. We are at the retreat conference at Montreat College in North Carolina. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Greg. Thanks for having me on. So tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got to where you are right now. So, Greg, I'm a privacy and cybersecurity lawyer, again, with Global Payments, uh, which is a, a payments processing company in the financial technology space. Um, that makes me, I should say, I have less of a technical background than many of the people you'll probably be talking to today. Uh, I support them from a legal perspective. Mm -hmm. I haven't always been in the privacy and cybersecurity field. Uh, in fact, I started out my career as a litigator uh, and worked for several years as an assistant United States attorney doing federal investigations and prosecutions. Uh, through that, I started working with uh, agents who were themselves sort of technical experts on some cybercrime investigations and prosecutions, developed an interest in the field that way, and uh, from there, when I moved into private practice, you know, I just kind of ran with it. So, uh, Global Payments is that your company? Well, it's uh, it's a very large company, so we're we're not particularly visible to consumers because we mostly operate in a B two B environment. But we are a Fortune five hundred, I think, by volume, the largest okay. payment processor in North America. Um, we operate under a few different brands, Heartland, TSIS, Global Payments itself. Okay. And, yeah, and we own a number of different software companies. But, again, we're, we're a payment processor. So, you know, what's interesting about that from a, a cybersecurity perspective is we interact with all of the different parties who are involved in completing a payment transaction, meaning anytime you run your credit card at a point-of-sale terminal or a store, any purchase you might make online, we're communicating with the card brands, your Visas, your MasterCards. Mm -hmm. I say we, but our, our solutions are communicating. We're communicating with the banks that issue the credit cards, so you know Chase, whoever you know may have your account, uh, as well as with the merchants themselves who are making the sale. So it's a lot of very sensitive data that's moving from party to party, and we're moving it. And uh, we're also, you know, accountable to a lot of different organizations within that ecosystem. And it makes it a lot of fun. Okay. And, and that's what I thought. But, but when you said, like, you started your – I probably misunderstood that you started your own company. I'm like, you started Global Payments? <laughs> I'm like, wow. I mean, yeah. I, I used to be a bank CISO. Oh, so, okay, great. Uh, and, and, and we work with a, a few credit unions and banks right now in the virtual CISO space. So gotcha. um, f familiar with what you all do. And, and certainly – um, there's there's got to be opportunities ripe for with fraud in that space. Yeah, there definitely are, and that's uh, you know that's definitely one of the things we need to be on the lookout for. Now, uh, a nice thing about the position that we occupy, you know, one of our businesses, Tesis, supports the banks that issue credit cards, mm -hmm. and as you yourself obviously would know, banks take cybersecurity very seriously. Absolutely. And you know, compared to most organizations, they staff it at an adequate level. You know, they have a lot of in-house expertise. So with respect to sort of the most sensitive data we touch, we sort of work in close collaboration with our bank partners and customers, um, and that gives us a lot of confidence. Do you work with other um, other fintech um, financial institutions that are not banks or credit unions? Yeah, sometimes, right? So, you know, there's a lot of innovation right now in, uh, in terms of 
for lack of a better way, isn't very sophisticated, but the ways you can pay a company for their products. Like, like uh, crypto. Yeah, basically. right. Actually, yeah, yeah. So there's you know, not only different forms of currency, as it were, with, with cryptocurrencies taking the stage, but, you know, you've got buy now, pay later, um, you know, various kinds of sort of money movement technology from PayPal to Venmo, whatever. And we do um, work with those companies generally by trying to integrate their their payment methods to make them available to our merchants. Because our goal when we serve merchants, right, stores, is we want you to be able to accept payment in whatever form the customer wants to give it to you. Right. Because right. that's how you make money, right? Um, so, yeah, we, we find ourselves, you know, working with uh, a lot of companies in the space on that side. And we learn a lot about their products and their security posture in that way. Well, I can imagine that there's such an eclectic mix of how payments can hand, can be can be transferred, and there's there's got to be a lot of different regulatory issues with regards to to all of that. Or, or does everything kind of fall underneath one one uh, umbrella? Oh man, I wish. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, it is very complex, uh, both from a privacy and a cybersecurity cybersecurity standpoint. You know, some of your listeners may have been following this draft American Data Protection and Privacy Act, this yeah. federal privacy bill that was making its way through Congress for a little while. I think its prospects have recently dimmed. A lot of us kind of had our fingers crossed that would get across the finish line because it would preempt some state law and, and simplify the field considerably. But as it is, you know, depending on where a counterparty we're working with may be located, right, if they're in Europe, for example, depending on the specifics of the kind of data they're handling, Man, our relationships can be subject to any number of different laws um, and any number of different standards that sometimes conflict. So a big part of what we do is sort of evaluating counterparty risk and trying to contract appropriately to account for it. Well, I know that that's one of the challenges just in, in cybersecurity in general in, in that in, in information security is that um, every state, you kind of touched on that, every state seems to have their own regulation. And so the easiest way that I think that I can... That, that that I try to explain to folks is that we try to pick like the most restrictive one yeah. and then work with that because perhaps eventually there will be some federal law to cover security and privacy. Um, but you mentioned that you thought that that bill was stalled. Well, I, I may be overstating my case there. I mean, you know, again, I know some of your listeners have probably been following this pretty closely. Well, but I have not. That's why I, oh, yeah, 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 like, yeah. So, I was hopeful for it. And then I, kind of a little bit of a letdown. It's like, oh. Well, <laughs> I hate to be the bearer of bad news. But again, you know, I'm still hoping for it. But what happened essentially is, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a strong desire within industry uh, among consumer protection groups really across the board to sort of standardize or level the playing field in the U.S., right? Have right. one unified privacy law that governs everything. Most people are in favor of it. The California delegation, so California has been a leader in some ways in privacy legislation. They yeah, with CCPA. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then that's sort of evolving into the CPRA mm -hmm. to lay yet another acronym on top of it. Uh, we, we, starting we need January more. 1st. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> um, and the California delegation, so and that includes Speaker Pelosi, for example, um, and Governor Newsom sort of interacts with, with Congress people. They've taken the position that the CPRA, you know, the newest evolution of their state law, uh, is more protective of personal data than the draft federal law, and they don't like that. Now, there's some disagreement in the field as to whether that's actually true. The federal law as drafted was pretty good. But regardless, the California delegation pushed back on it pretty hard, and I think within the last two, three weeks, Speaker Pelosi 
uh, issued a statement indicating she would not bring the draft bill to the floor on the House for a vote okay. in its current form. And I, I think, I don't know if she said it explicitly, that was based on the California delegation's concerns. Well, that's interesting. It, it's too it's too bad that sometimes it seems like that the federal government seems to move at the speed of molasses. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to do there, but but that would certainly be a utopia. And, and on the security side as well, too. For sure. Um, so you deal with um, a lot. I'm sure you deal with a lot of different size institutions yeah. and different size businesses. Uh, what would you think would be right now, in your opinion, like one of the one of the greatest threats, either in information security or privacy, to small and mid-sized businesses? So I, I'll list a couple. So one I would say would be just the human factor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, small and mid-sized businesses uh, generally don't have either sort of the time or the resources to devote to training everybody up to an appropriate level in terms of basic cybersecurity best practices. Um, You know, large organizations do that, right? Security is everyone's responsibility. For smaller organizations, you therefore may have, you know, a higher degree of vulnerability to sophisticated phishing attacks, things of that nature, social engineering, um, the kinds of things that can lead to, or just carelessness, frankly, kinds of things that can lead to an exposure of sensitive information or personal information um, short of sort of aggressive adversarial criminal activity. Um, Going along with that, a common problem, I think, for growth stage or smaller organizations is they just don't necessarily know what they have. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they've got data scattered among different sort of outsourced cloud vendors just based on what's worked for you guys financially. Um, You might not know what's where, and so if an incident does take place, you know, you're kind of scrambling after the fact to figure out exactly what might might have been exposed, which contractual provisions might be implicated, and all of that. Yeah, there's so much uh, SaaS sprawl. I think it's one of the yeah, things they talk I like about. That. Yeah. And uh, uh, well, I didn't coin it. Um, I read it somewhere, but I'm taking it over. It's yeah, mine yeah, yeah. now. You should. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, you don't, you can't protect what you don't know about. Mm-hmm. It, it, whether where you're trying to protect the security or the privacy of it, you, you, you need to know where it's at. One of the challenges, though, for small and mid-sized businesses is that they don't have the um, the resources on staff. Now, a lot of times when I talk about this, I'm referring more on the cybersecurity side mm-hmm. or, or even the governance side, like your your CISOs and all that. But from a legal standpoint, I know for me, as a as a former CISO, I uh, not only a bank CISO but a government CISO and a school CISO, uh, university CISO, and now working with clients across all verticals. I struggle to try to understand what exactly regulations does my client fall under. So some of it's pretty easy. You deal with healthcare, EPHI, okay, that's HIPAA, okay, Mm. that's fine. Mm. uh, Credit card information, PCI, and so on and so forth. But is there like kind of a clearinghouse where like somebody, a small business can go to and like kind of like put in, you know, generally what kind of information they have and it kicks out these are the things you need the regulations you need to be you need to be adhering to gosh i wish um it's and unfortunately it's i haven't encountered that resource in the united states at least i wish i had um you know one way to kind of cut through the noise though and you mentioned this earlier is a version of sort of just assuming that the most restrictive rules apply to you and setting yourself up to comply with them. Because, you know, even though we're still in this world where some states have comprehensive privacy laws, others don't, some sectors are federally regulated, as you just mentioned, others aren't, it's a misconception to say that any 
for-profit business in the United States is unregulated from a privacy standpoint because the Federal Trade Commission has this broad authority under what's called Section 5 of the FTC Act to investigate and enforce unfair or deceptive acts and practices. Okay. And they've interpreted that authority to include, for example, just going after companies for having, quote-unquote, unreasonable cybersecurity practices. Right. So I think if you're a small and mid-sized company, start from the assumption that you are regulated in one way or another. You need to care about both privacy and cybersecurity. On the privacy side, if you don't know exactly which set of requirements apply to you and you, you aren't necessarily in a position to pay for outside counsel to help you figure it out, what you can do is look up, and these are titled in different ways, but the FIPS, Fair Information Practice Principles, Fair Information Privacy Principles, things like data minimization. Right. Um, and just build your program around those principles, and you'll be 80 90% of the way to compliance with most privacy laws. And then on the cybersecurity side, and Ed Scotus spoke to this uh, yesterday as a part of this conference, I would recommend looking up something called the Critical Security Controls from the Center for Internet Security. So those are the 18, right? Yeah, yeah 20, now it's 18. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, is a great starting point. Again, this is coming from Ed. Don't want to speak for him. But this is a guy who tells the FTC what is a reasonable level of cybersecurity, right? <laughs> right. So I, I'm going to take that and run with it um, straight from Ed's mouth. But, yeah, so I think those two things, start with FIPS for privacy, start with a, a document like that for security, um, if you can align your practices with those sort of guideposts, you're in pretty good shape, even if you don't know exactly what law might apply. Yeah, you're, you completely read my mind because I was I was going to pivot from that to frameworks. Yeah, yeah. And so you just listed two two of the best out there. I know from the security side, you know, we talk about um, not only the CIS top eighteen. I want to say twenty. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, yeah right. I, you know, um, but uh, cybersecurity framework from NIST, and then going further down the line, if you're a federal contractor, you've got to adhere to like CMMC and those sorts of things as well, too. Well, there's a lot going on there, um, and it's very stressful. What do you do to decompress? Well, I'm fortunate enough to live here in Western North Carolina. Oh, it's so beautiful it, here. It really is, and I can't emphasize enough how much just that does. You go outside your door and, mm -hmm. you know, you're in paradise. Um, it wasn't always this way. I grew up in the snow-covered Midwest. But, you know, I'm not a complicated guy. If I, I work from home, so, you know, biggest problem for me is I'm staring at the screen in the basement having stressful things happen all day. But I find if I get outside with my wife and daughter at the end of the day for a little while, that does a trick for me. There's just nothing that, like, good, fresh mountain air can't solve. That's exactly that's right. Yeah, that's the hippie side of me talking. You know? <laughs> so what are your future plans? Well, you know, I, I've got a good situation here at Global Payments and uh, hoping to ride it out as long as they'll have me. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a good place to be in, like I said. We're at the intersection of a lot of different interesting things in privacy and cybersecurity. Um, I love to... Uh, sort of eclectic interest, so things like this, an opportunity to plug into the broader community within this, this field uh, locally are great for me. You know, I'm happy to help anybody out locally in sort of a off-the-clock capacity, you know, with little things, advisory work. That's that's the stuff I love to do. That's awesome. Well, Ed, I'm Ed. I'm sorry, Dan. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. you put Ed in my head. Well, we, we got Ed Carroll running around with well, the same Well, that's true, look. too. There's a couple you know, of Eds there. Yeah, no. right. Yeah. No, I was thinking about Ed, the speaker. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you pronounce his last name again? I'm sorry. Well, I'm Ed. thinking of Ed Carroll. Oh, you were thinking I'm about sure. Ed Carroll. Yeah. Okay. There are a few. Um, Dan, it's been absolutely wonderful. I appreciate you stopping by. I'd love the conversation. It, you know, sometimes in cybersecurity, we don't think about privacy as much as we should. So I appreciate your input. No problem anytime. It's been a pleasure, Greg. Absolutely. Thank you so Thank much. You. Stay secure.